Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of the Commercial Connection Podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Taylor with Mill Creek Commercial. And as always, it's a pleasure to have you here. We feel honored that you took some time out to listen to our show. We hope you find it insightful, educational, maybe a little entertaining. Our guest today, well, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and like maybe try to use a pun here. He's explosive here. Uh, Wolf Hanschen with uh, Peregrine 1031 Energy Partners. He's the co-founder. He's the managing director. Wolf, how are you? Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's been a while since I've done a podcast. So excited to be here and uh, appreciate sharing a little bit about uh, what we're up to at Peregrine. Uh, before we dive in, Wolf, uh, give us a little background. Who are you? What, what do you What are you into when you're not working? What do you do? T- t- tell us a little bit about your family. We'd like to get to know you first as a person. Sure, uh, absolutely. So, lifelong Texan, born and raised in Dallas. School at the uh, University of Texas down in Austin, um, and then, then back up to Dallas. So, haven't uh, haven't left the great Lone Star State. Have three kiddos and number four on the way. So, Congrats. Um, try, trying to catch you, but I don't think we'll get there. Um, uh, love doing things in the outdoors, hunting, fishing, things like that. Kind of, I think that's kind of second nature here in Texas. We've got lots of land to explore, and so they encourage you from a young age to do so outside. You know, there's I, I love Texas so much. I've never lived in Texas, but you know. Texans just have this thing about them. I mean, and, and I think it comes from a couple different, you know, attributes of the state. Number one, there's no state income tax in Texas, right? That's right. And then number two, Texas can secede from the from the union whenever they want. And so I feel it's like, okay, you want to mess with me? We're out of here. Like, we're, we're leaving. We don't need you. Yeah, you know, Texas is there's definitely um, there's definitely an interesting attitude amongst Texans, and there's so many of us. You know that attitude kind of varies all over the map. But it, when you look at the state, we really have a little bit of everything from the mountains to the beaches. We've got a lot of natural resources, namely oil and natural gas. We're the, the largest producer of oil in the country, and so um, yeah, you know, you you get those succession people that want to just become our own country. I don't know if that's a wise idea, but you know, with a state as big as Texas, it's certainly feasible. Well, I just feel like Texas they they always have that card in their back pocket. Not that they would use it because I don't think they would ever secede, but I think it's like, hey, just when you come to the table with a Texan. You know, in the in the national political whatever, hey, just be polite, talk to us with kindness, and you know, and everyone will get along. You know, it's just like a perfect check and balance. I think anyway. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good summation of the state. Um. So, first off, real estate in and of itself is super interesting. What you do there at Peregrine is wildly interesting. Um, so I'm going to, I'm not going to try to like introduce what you do, but give us like 30,000 foot view. What, what do you guys do there at Peregrine and, um, and just kind of give us a, give us a little bit of who who you are as a company. Sure. So, 
it all started back in 1865. And that's when they started drilling commercial oil wells. Um, actually, Pennsylvania, the Drake well was the first well. Um, and there was this question of, well, who owns that, those minerals under the ground, whether it's oil or gas or gold, silver, all in the 1800s, that kind of, that came to fruition as far as the minerals underneath the ground. The real estate obviously had, had been very dissected. You knew who owned what, there was deeds and whatnot, but, but the minerals, it was kind of in question. And so in 1865, the U.S. government um, allowed citizens not only to own the minerals, which is extraordinarily rare outside a little bit of Canada and, and the U.S., no other country in the world allows private citizens to own the minerals. Those are always state-owned, except for the U.S. and a, just a little bit of Canada. So that, that in and of itself is a pretty interesting attribute about the minerals. But in, the 18, in 1865, the U.S. government allowed what they called the bifurcation or the separation of the surface rights, which you and I know is real estate, and that's everything from a piece of dirt to an apartment building, to a single family, to a commercial piece of real estate, all of that is encompassed in what they call traditional brick and mortar or, or surface rights real estate. And uh, we focus on the other side, which is mineral rights, also known as the subsurface underneath the surface rights. And that's basically the rights to anything other than water, um, underneath the ground. So from the dirt to the center of the earth, whether that's oil, gas, silver, gold, coal, you name it, those are all encompassed in, in mineral rights. And so uh, back in the 1860s, people started buying mineral rights, but not the land on top of them. And it was the first time that had ever been done. And since then, this the, the idea of mineral rights has kind of been this quietly held asset class um, that, that is unknown to many people, even savvy real estate investors and, and financial advisors. Most of them haven't heard of minerals, aka royalties. And the main reason for that, interestingly enough, is that, that unlike real estate, where you're a buyer one day or a seller the next day, minerals are kind of that asset that's held in perpetuity. That's a generational asset that's passed down from grandmother to, to mother to daughter to granddaughter, etc., and it just never leaves the family. And so, like I said, even your most savvy real estate investors, most of the time, don't know that, that minerals exist out there and certainly don't know they're an option for a 1031 exchange. So in a nutshell, that's what Peregrine does. It's a lot of education uh, with real estate clients, um, cash investors, 1031 investors, just educating them on one, this is what the asset class is. It's been around for 150 years. It's just probably new to you. Uh, and then two, here's here's where it may or may not be a fit for you specifically. Well, if you mentioned something really unique, you mentioned water. Is water rights part of real estate? Water rights are typically their, their own rights. Every state has their own nuances, mm -hmm. but typically you have surface rights or real estate, and that's everything from the dirt, in most cases, to the sun, right? There's some cities like New York that has air rights, and that gets a little more complicated, but... Um, typically, you have real estate and subsurface rights. And then the only breakout of that, of the subsurface rights, as you mentioned, is, is water. And those are typically its own set of rights, water rights. Uh, and those are kind of state by state, county by county governed differently. So Peregrine only focuses on areas where oil and gas yeah. are, the, are the minerals. Um, again, water rights are kind of always going to be on their own separate branch. Which, which means you can own you can own land and a stream could run through it, but you don't own the water on that, on your land. You own the dirt that the water runs on just to kind of, just to kind of like set this clear for our listeners. 
Sure. Yeah. Again, with water, water is a highly touchy subject, right? Yeah. Because it's it's highly sought after. So yeah. there's all kinds of different rules, whether, you know, if you own the river or you own the, the bottom of the river and then also water rights underground, like aquifers and whatnot. A lot of these municipalities and cities, they'll simply claim those for themselves because they need it as a, you know, a public point of interest. for the city. good. Yeah. It's a public good. So we've never messed with water rights. Um, you know, again, it's it's a little it's a little more political of an asset class than minerals are. So uh, it, it's something that we've we just stayed away from. So tell us, like, what are the top three or four questions you get kind of always from someone kicking tires on like the consideration of buying mineral rights? What are some of the what are some of the easy questions you can quickly answer right now for our listeners? Um, you know, they always want to know why they hadn't heard of it. They're always kind of perplexed at that. And I, I, I say that I think that begs the question in of itself, what makes these so valuable? If you have generations of people not willing to, to entertain offers in most cases, yeah. you know, unlike real estate where they say, make me a good offer and I'll sell minerals. A lot of the times it's almost an emotional asset where it was, it was passed down from one generation to the next and it just doesn't leave the family. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a tough asset to buy. That's frankly our biggest challenge is convincing people it's time to sell. And, and it's usually a, a life life event that causes that uh, death, a divorce, estate planning, tax planning, et cetera. So that's usually the first question. You know, I'm pretty smart. Why haven't I heard of these two? They obviously want to know, you know, what's the biggest risk? I think that's a very prudent question. And with royalties, unlike um, real estate, where you have a, a lease with a fixed rent, that's $1,000 every month, this month, next month, the next. Royalties are, are predicated by commodity pricing, both oil and natural gas. And so as those go up and down, um, last year, way down, our, you know, our checks were down. This year, way up, our checks are way up. And so that's kind of the biggest unknown when you're buying royalties is, is what our commodity price is going to be. Um, and then I think in general, they, they would just want to know kind of how the asset class logistically works. How is title transferred, for instance? And, and the answer to that is just like real estate, it's transferred or conveyed via a mineral deed. Hmm. Just like you have a deed to your house or a piece of commercial building uh, that Mill Creek works with, we have deed and title to certain sets of legal land descriptions that qualify um, as, as royalties, as minerals. So it's, it's interesting, just like there are deeds to real estate, there's deeds to, to oil and gas minerals, and that's how people buy and sell these. So when you guys work on your acquisition for minerals, when you're finding mi minerals, are you buying the minerals, the, the rights to the minerals away from the property owner? Are they, like, are they selling you the right to go in, mine their land, drill their land, find the minerals that you think are somewhere below the surface? Uh, so when, when Peregrine comes on the scene, all that's already taken place. Okay, okay. So, so from a real estate standpoint, we're not a developer, okay? Yeah. We're not an operator. We don't drill. We don't operate. We don't deal with pipelines. We're, we are not on that side of the business. And that's what most people, when they think of oil and gas, they think operators. They think yeah. Exxon, Chevron, the big rigs that drill for oil and gas. And those are more akin to a real estate developer. Right. There's people that have done very well in that side of the business, but there's also a lot more risk. Um, we're buying proven producing properties that are that are already drilled, already producing the infrastructure like the pipelines are already in place. And so it's the risk factors from the development and the operating side are much less 
with the type of assets that we're buying. We're, we're just really buying a cash flow stream at the end of the day, no similar than a, a piece of brick and mortar real estate. Um, with royalties, it's just underneath the ground. And those royalties fluctuate. So if the price of gas goes up, if you if you own oil rights, oil royalties, then your your checks are going to get bigger if the price of gas goes up. Is that, is that right? Is that a good summation? Yeah. So I mean, so you know, it's it's always perplexed me that how, how much we as a as a country we use a lot of oil and, and natural gas, right? And, and Sometimes the, the, the nomenclature gas is confusing because we think of that as gasoline, which is really just refined crude oil. But the actual commodities themselves are crude oil and natural gas. Um, natural gas is used in things like electricity generation. Um, a lot of products like fertilizer has natural gas, um, paints, resins, um, food. Uh, you wouldn't believe all of the manufacturing and processing. Um, industrial uses a lot of natural gas. And then, of course, oil. Um, that's a little more concrete as far as what it goes to. Um, things like you mentioned, gasoline, obviously filling up your car, even the electric vehicles today, a lot of those, 90% of them are actually fueled by the electricity that comes from either natural gas, coal, uh, or oil. And then you have a lot of products that I didn't even realize before I got into the business that oil goes to, things like asphalt. 5% of oil uh, in the country actually goes to making roads. Uh, then you have things like paints and resins, every plastic, your cell phone, yeah. your computer. Um, those are all products that oil use. And so as, as demand for those go up and supply either goes up or down, that typically is going to dictate what pricing does. But, but to your question, yes, our monthly checks rise and fall as a, um, as a determination of what prices are at that time. So you mentioned something about futures. I think this can be like confusing. For a lot of people, what 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 does it mean? I'm what does it mean that price is based on the commodities, like like futures of the commodity? Yeah, so when we buy a, a property, we're going to do our best, and we we typically trust third party engineering experts to do this. They have to forecast some sort of pricing into the future, right? So if today oil is eighty dollars a barrel. What do we think it's going to be tomorrow? a year from now and five years from now. And, and no one's crystal ball is ever right. 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 I mean, with, with COVID, you, oil went from 60 to almost zero. And today it's at 80. And I, I didn't see that coming. I don't think anyone did. And so it, it's a forecast um, that's never dead on, but it's usually pretty close over the long term. And that's typically how we, we look at these properties. They're going to produce oil and natural gas for 25, 35 plus years in many cases. And so unlike a stock where I'm trying to get in at one price and get out at another, this is more about a long, consistent, stable income flow, again, over a long enough time time period. So the futures price that you and I talked about, that's trying to do our best to, to forecast out what oil prices look like in a year, five years, 10 years. And, and it's not an exact science. It's some art. It's some science. Yeah. But over a long enough time period, it's usually pretty accurate. Can you speak to some of like the key indicators? What determines the, the futures prices? Yeah, so it, it basically boils down to as far as prices go, high school economics dictate a lot of what prices do, namely supply and demand. How much is not oil, especially, is more of a global uh, commodity, meaning how much Brazil. Um, demands also affects our price. For natural gas, that's largely a domestic commodity. It's it's produced here, it's used here, 
where oil, even though we, you know our, our national oil production has increased significantly in the last 10 to 15 years, we still import almost half of our daily crude oil from countries like Iraq, Saudi Arabia, et cetera. So um, the world as a total uses about 90 million barrels of oil. Which if you think of a barrel, it's, it's roughly 42 gallons. So think of 42 milk jugs and you know times a million. That's how much the, the global energy demand is. The U.S. is responsible for about 25% of that. Is that daily? Is that daily? Pretty, pretty wild numbers. Wow. It, it comes down to about 1,000 barrels a second, mm. um, which is, it, it's, it's just wild. And, and if it's interesting, the U.S. is about 5% of the world's population, and yet we use 25% of, of the world's energy. And so it's, you know, we're definitely, there's not many people that you know that don't have access to, to modern electricity and energy and heat, et cetera. But 2 billion people, for example, out of the 7 billion in the world, still don't have any access to, to modern energy. That includes coal. So Wolf, I, you know, I don't want to get, I don't want to get too political here, but I think a lot of people would, would find your take interesting. Let's, let's just talk about fracking. Is it good for our economy? And then let's talk about the, the Canadian pipeline, how, how that, you know, that went out. I don't know. When did that go out? Like two days after Biden was sworn in as president, they shut, shut the Canadian pipeline down. Is that, is that good for, I don't know. Can you speak to that? Is that good for the U S economy or was it, was it a bad move? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a, you know, a yes or no answer to that. I think there's a, a few different ways to look at it. I mean, I, I'm of the belief that being more energy independent is good. And by that, I mean, I mean, right now you have President Biden who has gone to countries that frankly don't like us, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran. And he's asked these countries to increase their their oil production capacity, which, you know, to me, it's like if we can do it ourselves, why wouldn't we? And of course, there's there's environmental sensitivities to keep in mind. There are certainly it's not a it's not a one way street. There there are certainly downsides that come to oil and gas production. But at the end of the day, it comes down to, again, the supply and demand. And until we are willing to stop driving, stop heating our homes, stop cooling our homes, stop building new roads until we're ready to, to, to truly not demand oil and gas, uh, we're going to get it from somewhere. Right. So things like um the, the Canadian pipeline, okay, then we're, you know, we're not going to, you know, get as much Canadian oil or, or oil from what they call the Bakken shale up in North Dakota. Okay, well, where is it going to come from? And that you're seeing that play out right now when we have our government over, over, again, working with countries that frankly do not like us and have said as much, and we're asking them to help increase the oil production to push down prices. So it's kind of six of one, half dozen of the other, again, in, until we don't demand the oil. And I say we as, a, as not just a country, but as a globe, um, until the earth does not demand the oil, it's going to come from somewhere. And so I think that's what people miss out on is just because we're not producing it here doesn't mean we're not using it. And it's a matter of where are we going to get it from? And, and to me, again, that's just my opinion. I'd rather be more energy independent and not rely on countries like the Russias and, and Iran's and Iraq's of the world for our energy, especially when we have more than enough under our own feet. Uh, interesting. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. Let, let's transition into your, 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 let's transition to your business, Peregrine. Talk to us a little bit about kind of your why, why do you guys do what you do? What gets you up in the morning? I, I'm also curious to, to learn a little bit about your approach to customer service 
and kind of um, kind of that element of of your of your business. Um, let, let's sure. start with the first. Like, wh- so why do you guys do what you do? Like, what's what? Why are you passionate about this? For me, I love introducing clients to an asset class that they've never heard of, mm-hmm. right? And and even if we sit down and we determine maybe it's not a fit for them, it's rare that I I don't sit down with a client and they say, you know what? I really enjoyed learning about this. I didn't know anything about it. It was totally new to me. And again, a fit or not, um, it, it's the idea that that I am sharing something that they may have never had access to and would never have access to. And really, that's the the catch twenty two with royalties is because few so few people want to sell them. That means there's so little opportunity for people to buy them. Um, and, and Peregrine itself, we've kind of built ourselves as a boutique sourcer of these producing oil and gas energy rights simply because we're, we're not going to be um, a, a big firm. We can't buy a hundred million dollars a year. And, and it's, it's one of the reasons why if you look at wall street and a lot of the private equity money out there, that's dumped money um, into asset classes like stocks, bonds, and, and traditional real estate, they've kind of shied away from loyalties, which I'm, I'm okay with um, in that it, it's just very hard to deploy capital in this space because it's such a coveted asset that again, unless someone's willing to sell it, um, I can't buy it. And so it, it's, it's that, that's kind of our, our struggle um, is finding those assets or finding those sellers willing to, to, uh, to part with them. And so again, going back to our why is not only introducing this asset class um, to clients that have never heard of it, but really giving them access to it where before it's, it's, it would be something that they couldn't, by, you know, even if they had a checkbook in hand, it would be a tough asset class to acquire. So being able to be that bridge and bring someone this passive monthly income with no management cost fees or headaches, um, similar to what you guys do, right? It it kind of provides that peace of mind and that lifestyle that they're looking for. Um, And then let's talk, let's talk your approach to the customer service side. I mean, this, this always fascinates me, you know, Ever since we opened up our shop four years ago, four and a half years ago, I'm so aware, you know, when I go out to a restaurant or I'm in someone's store or whatever, you know, getting my tires changed, oil. I'm so like fascinated by their customer service just because, right, like now it's like a huge part of our world. Share a little bit about kind of your guys' approach to, to customer service. What do you care about? So, you know, I, I think that just like the golden rule, you, you want to be treated just how you'd want to be be treated or you want to treat others rather how you'd want to be treated. And I think that can apply to the investment world, too. And I think because we've stayed small by design, not necessarily by default, but really by design, we, we chose and said, let's let's be a great service provider to a handful of clients a year rather than just a mediocre service provider to hundreds. Yeah. So we may only have, you know, 20 to 25, maybe 30 clients a year, about two thirds of those are 1031 clients um, who, because of a tax driven investment, they're willing to try something a little different. That's maybe outside the box that they're not used to like royalties. And then a third are cash clients um, that are looking for that monthly income. But it, if we can work with 25 to 30 a year and really give them the, the individual attention they need. And sometimes that's hours and hours of education. Sometimes it's a 15 or 20 minute call like this and they're on board. So um, it's being able to be flexible based on that specific client's need rather than worrying about volume. That's really made us successful. And in fact, 
30 to 40 percent of our clients are repeat clients, which is pretty wild to think about. Yeah. Well, this is good. Thank you. I, I, I admire you guys so much over there. I just think you guys are doing you're feeling a really important niche for a lot of people. You're willing to share. You're willing to educate. And, you know, I just think that that's that's admirable. Well, it's uh, like I said, we've been doing it almost 20 years now, if you can believe it. And it's it's a space that is not only fun, but it's unknown to many. And so to be able to be that that source of education, that that um, that, that information source um, and really that thought leader within the space, that, that's something special to us. And we take it very seriously. And we're proud of it. Wolf, if anyone wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to reach out? Uh, you can go to our website and, and all my contacts information on there. It's just uh, Peregrine 1031. So P-E-R-E-G-R-I-N-E and then 1031, the numbers, um, dot com, Peregrine 1031. And you can just Google it and it can, if you misspell it, Google is usually pretty good about finding us. Um, all my contacts information is on there. Feel free to email or call and, and we can help start the education process. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. And to all of our listeners, Thank you. We encourage you to drop a five-star review if you feel like this is worth it, and then invite you to share this with someone that you feel might find this useful. A landlord looking to sell a rental property, your family members looking to for good, solid, passive investments. If you feel like this could help them, please share it. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Wolf. Absolutely. Thank you, Spencer. And to all our listeners, until next time, Have a good day.